This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer this Saturday afternoon, the first one of November. I'm Sterling Fox, and in just a few moments, Johnny Smartpoint, John Carlson, will return with a fresh look at Vancouver real estate. But first, here are some more of this week's top consumer stories. And the big news on the automotive front this week was actually twofold. The Fiat Chrysler Peugeot merger and the quick resolution of differences between Ford and its unionized employees. First up this week, the announcement by Fiat Chrysler of its intent to merge with France's PSA Peugeot. The two companies said Thursday they've agreed to merge to create the world's fourth largest automaker with enough scale to confront big shifts in the industry, including a race to develop electric cars and driverless technologies. Italian-American Fiat Chrysler brings with it a strong footprint here in North America, where it makes at least two-thirds of its profits, while Peugeot is the second biggest automaker in Europe. The combined company would be worth about $50 billion with a revenue of 170 billion euros and producing almost 9 million cars a year just behind Toyota, Volkswagen and the Renault-Nissan alliance, all of which make over 10 million cars each. Fiat Chrysler is one of Italy's largest private sector employers with nearly 60,000 workers and the company has pledged to invest heavily on new engines and models in Italy to make better use of its plants. The next step in the deal is expected to be a signing of a memorandum of understanding which could come before the end of this year. Now, the second auto sector story is all about Ford working out a deal with its American workers after watching rival GM struggle over six weeks to come to terms with its workers and losing a pile of money in the process, close to $3 billion. This is still a tentative deal as there are 55,000 workers still to vote on the package. Unfortunately, though, for some Canadian Ford workers, the deal won't eliminate the closure of Ford's Oakville, Ontario plant and the 450 jobs that go with it. Once the UAW votes on the Ford contract, the union will move on to talks with Fiat Chrysler, although their previously mentioned plan to merge with Europe's Peugeot could disrupt what might otherwise have been equally smooth bargaining. We'll watch this story as it goes forward. And this is kind of a car story, too. We did one... uh, couple of weeks ago about the concerns BC drivers have about switching over to an electric vehicle. One of the surprising biggest worries was about how much extra the hydro bill will go up once we have to charge the car every day. It seems obvious, but a new study from the University of Victoria has found that over the next 30 to 40 years, by 2055, as more electric vehicles hit the road, British Columbia will need to increase its electricity generation. The study indicates that capacity will have to increase by as much as 60% over that span to match the demand for electric charging. But the good news is the researchers say the cost of generating that extra electricity would be relatively cheap. They did the math and found that to increase capacity by 60%, our costs will have to go up 
but only by 9%, largely due to availability of low-cost renewable energy options. And the cost would rise by only 5% if at least half of drivers charged their vehicles at off-peak times. It was a surprisingly large number of B.C. drivers who said they're worried about escalating hydro bills in the era of the electric vehicle. Perhaps this new study from UVic will help, well, some of them sleep a little better. We've still got the echoes of Halloween fireworks in our ears, but here's a story about a big change coming this New Year's Eve. And yes, it too is all about fireworks. This story is about a change of location for the big New Year's Eve fireworks show. It's moving from Coal Harbor and the waterfront down by Canada Place over to False Creek and the Concord Pacific lands. This is supposed to happen by December 31st, 2020. Instead of one fireworks barge, there will be several. The area's buildings like BC Place will all be lit up in sync with the fireworks show. Science World and all its lights will play a central role in the event. It's also meant to showcase Vancouver's new dedicated entertainment district in Northeast False Creek. Now, you may have noticed we said this was all going to happen next December 31st. So what about this December 31st? Well, the short answer is nothing. The organizers say the switch from the harbor to False Creek is so huge, it's going to take well over a year to put together. So they're asking for your patience and forbearance in tolerating a non-event this year in return for what they say will be the biggest New Year's celebration in Canada, bar none. It will be interesting over the next few weeks to see if anybody else steps up to uh, give us some kind of fireworks show at the old waterfront location this year. We'll keep you posted on that. Those are some more of the week's top consumer stories. We'll check out a few more as the show goes along. But coming right up is John Carlson with a fresh look at Metro Vancouver real estate and all those predictions. John is next on Vancouver Consumer here on CKNW. Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer this Saturday afternoon. I'm Sterling Fox, joined in studio now by Johnny Smartpoint. John Carlson, Personal Real Estate Corporation, back in the house. Hello, John. Hi, Sterling. Great to be here again. Welcome to November. We made it this far in 2019. We made it, and the weather's great, too. So, you know, how can we go wrong? Well, I don't know. But, you know, we've got some... I mentioned moments ago in the intro to the show, or this hour of the show, John, that uh, we have some predictions to reference. And the predictors this time around, no less than the government of Canada through the CMHC, and they've had a housing market report, and it's been all over the papers and everything for the past few days, basically kind of interestingly, John, falling in very much in behind with the kinds of predictions you've been making for this market this year, because they're talking about next year and the year beyond. Your prediction for the final quarter of 2019 was it's likely to be much busier than the preceding three quarters put together. And by gosh, that's what's going on right now, isn't it? Absolutely. I I mean, I'm finding myself quite busy with uh, offers on listings and buyers who are jumping back into the market, um, you know, showings on my listings. And, I, you know, that when the September stats came out, you know, September, it was kind of one of those stories. It was like a good news story because uh, the numbers jumped up 40-something percent over September last year. But 
putting that in reference, uh, you know, it really was just kind of coming up to the 10-year average. So we climbed out of a hole a little bit in September. Now, the October stats are going to be coming out in a matter of days. Sure. And I think they're going to be very similar to September. In fact, I think they'll probably be a little bit stronger. And if I am reading the market right, I think it's picking up steam right now. That pent-up demand that maybe did not fulfill itself in February, March, April, and May while people were looking at the market kind of skew-eyed and thinking, hmm, what am I going to do here? Now they're jumping back in. And I'm thinking that November to the middle of December is going to be a pretty hot market. So if people are considering, hey, maybe should I put my house on the market? Should I not? Is there an audience there? There is an audience right now for homes that are priced well and show well. So, uh, yeah, we're enjoying a pretty good market right now. Interesting. Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation would take a little bit to catch up to you, John. But there they are, right to, right in line with what you've been talking about. And their summary of 2019, British Columbia's housing slowdown may be bottoming out. Which it's exactly what you've taken the last two minutes to tell us. So now what they're talking about about is for next year, 2020, they're saying essentially the marketplace should stabilize. Prices might begin to come up a little bit in 2020, but then they're looking around the corner even further to 2021 and predicting BC right back in in active uh, gains in the marketplace, second only to Ontario as uh, the the marketplace picks up again. So we got a little distance to go before we're back to that point, but all the indicators from you for the last many weeks on this program and from the Central Mortgage, Canada Mortgage and Housing, all very positive, John. That's right. And, uh, you know, it's like a weather forecast. The further it goes out into the future, maybe the less reliable it is. But I think there are signs right now when you read the market right now that, you know, greater Vancouver real estate never goes out of style, never goes out of demand. Sure, we may have our ups and our downs, but, uh, you, uh, you know, as we've talked about many times on this show, we've got an influx of uh, people to this province. They're looking to buy real estate. Yep. And, uh, you know, it's an awful hard market to hold down for any length of time. So when I think of next year's market, again, I'm still uh, a little undecided in terms of what I think is going to happen, but I think it'll really depend on what we see in, say, February and March and maybe April. The first months of the spring really set the tone. And sure. what I mean by that is uh, if we have a whole bunch of listings hit the market like we did this, this year in 2019 and they're not really absorbed by the buyers and they start to stack up, well, that's not going to bode well for prices. Right. And uh, However, if the market starts to take off and buyers in February and March and April are snapping up that inventory, that's a really good sign. And that would probably indicate that the market is at least going to stabilize. And depending on the activity and interest level of buyers, it could even uh, go up a little bit. My personal feeling is, though, that we still have the stress test here, and who knows what may happen with that. Yeah, Uh, We still have limited incomes in Greater Vancouver and high expenses, so I don't see prices skyrocketing and taking off and having the big frenzy that we had a couple years ago. But it would seem that that bottomless pit that we were scared of in, you know, March and April and May of this year has kind of uh, become a lot less scary and people are jumping back in and that's really going to support the market and probably, yes, lead to a pretty good market next year. 2021's too far away for yeah, me to say. I agree. But all the signs are there that we're, we're still in the game. Uh, and, uh, and this is quoting, quoting Global News now, along with an uptick in sales, CMHC is forecasting prices will begin to climb again next year. Again, consistent with what you've been predicting, but they're not there yet. And you are a very busy guy. Since we last got together, 
together a couple of weeks ago on the radio. You've been going flat out, which is a good news story for Ben and me and those of us involved with making sure Vancouverites know who you are. But you've also, you're also always, always learning in the process of, of uh, conducting your business and meeting new people and, and trying to make arrangements to buy or sell houses on their behalf. And you had an interesting experience recently with an estate sale that, uh, tell us a little bit about this, John, because this goes to pricing. We're talking about this forecast from CMHC saying prices may begin to climb again next year. They're still kind of coming off. There's still a correction phase going on. Right. So people, sellers, are trying to figure it all out. Where do I fit into a correction phase that may or may not morph into a climb? Where do I fit into all of this? Talk about that because you've just had some, some interesting uh, experiences with that. Well, uh, you know, I think, as I just mentioned, buyers are interested in the market and feeling comfortable and confident enough to say, hey, let's jump in. Let's say this is a time maybe we're, maybe we're upsizing. We've got children. We've gotten a promotion or maybe we're downsizing. We need a smaller place. They waited. And I think there's confidence enough to jump in now. Yeah. But there's also, you know, that unknown factor. And there's a little bit of concern that the market is still not exactly robust and thriving. So what I'm finding is you mentioned I've been busy. I've been extremely busy, which is great. Offers coming in on listings. But it's not the same kind of busy I was two years ago where offers were coming in, slam dunk, sign here, done, sold. You got to kind of fight for it now. Mm-hmm. Offers coming in, and you you referenced uh, the house that I just had sold in Clayton Heights. Right, right, okay. And uh, I met a lady. Um, she heard on the radio, listened to our show there. Very nice. Hi, Lisa. Hope you're listening again. And called me in uh, about her home there, and we priced it, you know, right on the button, nine ninety nine nine. It's million dollar neighborhood, sure. roughly. Okay. And uh, it didn't happen instantly. We had some low offers. We had offers from people who, you know. Oddly enough, wanted uh, this person to put a suite in their house so they could qualify for the mortgage, if you can believe it. So, you know, that didn't go anywhere. But we had some offers from people that were a little bit low, and we had to work them up. Then we got... Was the seller surprised that the the asking price wasn't immediately offered? Well, I don't know about surprised, because I tried to prepare her that even a well-priced listing, you know, maybe doesn't sell instantly. Sure. And we'll probably have to defend that price regardless. Right. Back in the old days, maybe we didn't have to defend anything. We put a number on there and say, there it is, sign here. Mm Mm-hmm. It's not 15 quite that minutes way. later, somebody gave you a check. That's right. That's not going to happen now. No. So, But in this case, I thought it was interesting because we got multiple offers on the property. We had people buzzing around it. They threw an offer. It didn't go. They came back with a little bit of a better offer. We had some showings and hmm, kind of were thinking about writing offers. And then luckily for us, they all came to fruition within a 24-hour period. So mm. we had three offers on the table to look at. And they were all good offers. Uh, but none of them were over list price. In fact, none of them were list price. So there's a bit of a contrast compared to a couple of years ago where multiple offers would go over list and that sort of thing. In this particular case, they were close enough, but we still had to do a fair bit of work in terms of weeding out each offer and seeing you know, maybe how high we could get these people to come up and how certain they were and how qualified they were. And in the end, we did get very close to the list price, but you know, it took some work, it took some diligence, and uh, we all sat down together, Lisa and her sister, who was part of the process, and myself, and, you know, we spent a good three or four hours going over, you know, these three listings, and we do now have a sale. Right. I think Lisa's pretty happy, but it just goes to show you that I think really translating this market into a success story, a sale, takes a little bit of work. You need to position well, but you also have to be ready when offers come in to defend your value and know how to negotiate. Because right now, buyers aren't coming in full price. They're a little bit cautious, a little bit. They don't know everything either. They're not sure where the market's going. So 
I think a good agent right now, one of the best things a good agent can do is give sellers good advice when it comes to offers and uh, be a good negotiator because that'll make the difference sometimes between a sale and no sale or a good strong value or not as strong. Well, let's talk about that because uh, the website, friends, by the way, Mr. Carlson's website is johnnysmartpoint.com. And, John, it's the smart point that I wanted to ask you about here, finding the smart point. For example, are there? I'm sure you encounter this. You're a busy guy. I'm sure you encounter sellers who are... Who are who haven't moved with the times? Who expect to have? Well, here's what we're going. Here's what we're going to ask for the place. But frankly, we're expecting several over asking offers. Do you still run into sellers like that who haven't moved with the times and and, and are sort of living in the past? Uh, not so much. Um, I think it's human nature to remember the high times. The, the contest times. that used to be. That's yes, right. I think that's human nature, and everybody wants to maximize the sale. I mean, let's face it: real estate's a big investment for uh, all of us. Um, so it's not so much that people are expecting multiple offers, but I think maybe if I had to say the number one uh, thing that I run into that I feel I have to advise people when, it, when on a first meeting, um, if someone thinks their home is worth, say, a million dollars, they say, well, maybe let's price it at a million ninety-nine and, and, and see if we get any offers and leave this room for negotiating. And, and to me, I mean, that's kind of the kiss of death because we talked about this last time I was on the program. I see this as a two-tiered market. Okay, We have a success zone. We have... In other words, listings that offer, they show well, they're in good areas, but they also offer that value proposition that a buyer can wrap his or her head around and commit to, those are in the success zone. If you're looking to overprice the home and leave a $50,000 negotiating, you're probably not even going to get the offer because if you look at listings on the market in every given segment, you'll see, hey, here's some that have sold, uh, you know, 20 days, 12 days, 31 days. These homes have hit the market priced well. And yes, they've had to negotiate, and they probably just didn't get full price offers thrown at them, but they were in that zone where people went by and said, hey, we've looked at 15, 20 listings, and this is one of the top two or three, and we're going to negotiate on this one. Right. If you're in the bottom five or so of those 15 listings... They're simply too high asking. Right. You're not even in the game. You get nothing. So... You know, it's a two-tiered market, and uh, to be in the success zone is very important. And that's part of the smart point, to help people understand where the market is and what the dynamic is in terms of, you know, it could be different if you're a condo in Langley compared to a detached house in Maple Ridge at an attractive price, for instance. A uh, detached house in Maple Ridge is probably doesn't have that many good uh, comparables or competition, whereas a townhouse-heavy market like Langley or a condo, you, you want to make sure that you're definitely priced well. Right. And, that, and, and you've said umpteen times since you and I started doing this uh, stuff together a couple of years ago, today's consumer, here on the Vancouver Consumer Show, today's consumer is a very informed individual. He or she is very good at homework. Canadians are incredible users of the Internet. And with MLS and all of those other realtor tools available to all of us with an inquiring mind, it doesn't take too long to know that buyers, are, in some cases, ahead of sellers in terms of understanding today's market condition. Yeah, well, a lot of buyers, for instance, I'm dealing with a, with a condo uh, sale right now, my listing and other buyers, the other agents telling me, hey, these guys have already, you know, lost on a couple of offers. They've, they've, they've been 
had an offer accepted on another place and the inspection went bad or something like this. So some of these buyers have been in the market quite a while. They've looked at a lot of places. And again, my job is to help a seller interpret the information, the market information. But I also ask the seller, hey, you know your house, you know your property better than I do. Tell me all the good stuff so I can put this in context and in return give you good advice in terms of how to position the home, how to market it, and then how to negotiate when the offer comes in. Interested in having that conversation with John Carlson? You might want to jot this number down, friends, 604 612 Again, that's 604-612-0080. John's a little busy for a few more minutes here on Vancouver Consumer. We'll repeat that number a little later, and you can call him after the show. Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer this first Saturday of November. I'm Sterling Fox with John Carlson, Personal Real Estate Corporation, in studio, johnnysmartpoint.com, the website. John, we've been talking about predictions from the government, no less, the Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation, CMHC, and it's one of its annual reports, talking about our corner of Canada, saying that uh, I, I think basically the slowdown, it's the end of the slowdown, is basically how they would summarize 2019 which for many has been a slower year. It's been a real transition year this year as prices have come off, volumes have dropped off, and yet activity still prevails. There's still properties moving every day in Metro Vancouver. That's right. The market never uh, completely slows or stops here in Greater Vancouver in the Fraser Valley, obviously. Um, But yeah, all the signs are that uh, we've bounced back from the scary times when uh, there was a lot of unknowns. And I would suggest, again, people looking at putting their house on the market, this is a good time. I think the next uh, six, eight weeks will be the best months of the year, the best weeks of the year. So um, yes, the numbers are supporting that. Uh, you know, the, the feeling I'm getting with my phone calls and the numbers of offers are coming in are all supporting that. The only caveat is buyers are still very price conscious. Right, so again, right. get good advice when it comes time to pricing. So how recent, how current does your evaluation have to be? If, for example, you were one of those many uh, homeowners who took the first half of 2019, all set to go and sell, but Gosh, the market was wonky. It just was. It was going sideways. It was. It just didn't feel like the right time. But we had an appraisal done anyway. So now it's the fall. Uh, conditions have dramatically improved. Uh, that we've still got that uh, assessment or appraisal number from say March or April. How relevant is that in November? I wouldn't hang my hat on it. I would definitely look at a new uh, uh, market evaluation. Uh, Your competition on the market will have changed during that time. There are likely to be a number of sales in your uh, sort of category that you can reference and compare yourself to during that time. There may even be some listings that uh, were on the market for a long time and didn't sell and they expired and you can sometimes use those as, uh, you know, some sort of comparables for your own property. But really, I mean, when I'm out there doing evaluations, I'll, I'll, you know, yesterday I sat down with a client that I'd worked with three times already, and we just got a new, uh, maybe, I, do you mind if I put a plug in for it? We've Go got ahead. a place in the Sonnet, a beautiful one-bedroom in Den. It's listed at 334.9. It overlooks the, court, the, the, the fountain in the courtyard. And uh, what part of, the, of Metro Vancouver is this? Oh, this is Langley City. Okay. So this is a newer condo, gorgeous. Like, it's, this is a good one. And, um, you know, so check my website out. You'll, you'll see that one. Just, just hit the market. But we sat down and we looked at active listings. We looked at sold listings. We looked at listings that hadn't sold. We looked at price graphs. I can pull up a price graph for Langley City at condos and we can see, hey, if we look at a sale in May, statistically speaking, this was the average price and here's the average price today and how does this compare? But all of that aside, 
there is a component of just recent information that's just floating around in my mind from from the experiences that I have. And sure. what I would suggest is that if you look at a stats graph, you're maybe not getting the whole picture because right now we're in a bit of a push and the inventory has been gobbled up. If you look at a sale in, in, in May, buyers, again, they were a little bit scared and there was a ton of inventory to choose from. Right now, that inventory has been whittled down a bit and there's more buyers. So uh, even though statistically the market might be the same price-wise in some of these categories, I think that uh, a person can do better than maybe in May for the same unit. So, you know, looking at current information is really key, especially when things are changing. And things have changed drastically again in the last two to three months compared Mm -hmm. to what we were looking at in the summer and before. Definitely. And, John, days on market, that used to be almost a a bad mark against a property. When when properties were selling in 48 hours or less, anything that was on the market for, gosh, a couple of weeks was considered, well, was something wrong with that listing? There's got to be. But it's it's a different, (laughs) a completely different tone in the marketplace now. So if your house hasn't sold and you've had it listed for 30, 60, 90 or more days... Um, it's not being held against you as much as it was a couple of years ago. But still, after that prolonged period of time on market, what does it tell a potential buyer? Well, if a property has been on the market a long time and it has not seen a price adjustment or a change to the property, buyers may tend to look at it and say, well, you know, other people have looked at it and not acted Maybe I shouldn't be as interested either. So, yeah, you can get a little bit stigmatized if you're on the property a long, long time. And again, good properties tend to sell relatively quickly. But, uh, you know, a price reduction can help. Mm -hmm. Or, uh, you know, when an agent, I'm thinking more from my point of view, if I'm a listing agent and I've got a a seller and we're on the market and we're, we're getting activity but nothing's really clicking, well, we want to look at that feedback and say, are there any obstacles here that we can remove from this? Right. For instance, if they said, hey, this is a problem or everybody's saying the carpet's terrible, it stinks, it needs to be ripped out. Well, then maybe that's something we should do uh, if we want to increase our chances. Another thing is to look at the market and what's sold and maybe be a little bit more competitive in price. Right. Like, like you say, time on the market used to be a sign like a, a jug of milk. If it was two days over that one week period, you don't want to touch it. <laughs> that's well, right. And it doesn't hold that stigma anymore. Not but it's really. still a factor, John. It's still a factor, isn't it? Well, it is. I think a listing that's newer tends to get more activity than a listing that's been on the market three months um, for a number of reasons. Oftentimes, people will categorize listings by list date to look at the freshest ones first. Sure, of course. Um, but again, uh, just being in that success zone and, and maybe, hey, maybe the case, maybe your price is good. Uh, maybe the product is good, but we're just not doing a good enough job of getting that information out. So sometimes changing the listing up a little bit. Make sure you have good photos. Make sure you're leading with your strengths. If you're a house that maybe doesn't show so well on the inside, but it backs onto a park and it's got all these things. Hey, there's your angle. That's what you want to push. So marketing changes can help. Prices uh, adjusting can help a little bit. Sometimes taking care of obstacles to the sale can help because this is a process. But I would suggest... If you're on the market for 120 days with no sale, you got to be looking at maybe changing some things around. Right, exactly. And and uh, and again, if you're looking through the listings on MLS or one of those websites, or even driving through the neighborhoods looking at the houses with signs on their lawns, it's not uncommon anymore to see new price sure. stuck across the sign or the ad online. And that's just a person, a seller, who has taken your advice because the property hasn't moved as swiftly as perhaps they had hoped. And now they've they've reconsidered their position 
and the, and are offering the property at a, at a slightly reduced price. Yes, and sometimes that indicates um, the motivation of the seller as well. Sure. I've had clients where I thought we were positioned pretty well and we're relatively uh, you know new into the listing, and I'll get a call saying, hey, we found that property we want. We want to adjust here. And so we can get sold quick. And sometimes that's a great strategy. You know, maybe you're priced well, but you know there's maybe ten dollars or $20,000 of playroom in there. I've had sellers say to me, John, let's just price this thing right there. And if we get offers lower, we'll just counter it at or very near the list price. And that can be a great strategy as well. So right. on the other hand, sometimes people say to me, well, hey, John, if I list it here where I really want it or just very close to that, what if I get an offer $50,000 below that? And I tell people, you know what? You just might. In this kind of market, you don't know. Right. But at least you get that offer and you have a chance to demonstrate value to an interested buyer. My theory is if they've written an offer, put a price on paper, they've signed it, committed to those terms, these people are three-quarters of the way in the bag already. They're, they're clearly interested in the property. We just have to show them why they will pay the price that we're asking. And this is what you call the strategy of defending your price. And a professional, an experienced professional like you, understands the concept of defending a price. Not that the homeowner doesn't get, hey, I want this much, and I'm I'm, going to dig in my heels and I'm not going to let it go until I get that, and that's that. Right. Well, that's not exactly defending your price. That's taking a position. You're right. the pro who has to step in here and articulate that defense. That's a great point because I've had this conversation uh, many times lately with clients. And defending your price is more than just coming up with a new number and spitting a new number at somebody. Really having a backstory that people can wrap their head around it really does help you. You have to kind of get to them somehow logically. Like, I don't meet these buyers half the time if I'm representing a seller. Uh, I don't meet I don't meet the buyer if another agent's working for them, but if I can get back to that agent and to that buyer with a plausible scenario that says, hey, you know, here's what we've got going on here, and here's this, and here's this, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to drop the price this amount, and you know, hold an open house, and you got to get through to them in a way that's not just throwing a number at them. You got to give them something that can make them confident enough to say, you know what. They're right. This is a good house. We already like it. And I kind of see their point. So, yes, we're going to go for that. That's always the goal. Interesting stuff. Let's uh, hear from one of John's most recent clients. Here's Lisa. Well, I have been listening to CKNW for quite a number of years. And I've listened to his program on consumer. Listening to John, and I thought he was a good fit to sell my mother's home. John came in, and he looked through the home, and he gave us, Um, some honest opinions and honest answers and um, was spot on on listening to us, making sure that he heard what we were looking for in order to sell our home and gave us realistic time frames. And um, we just liked how he presented his business and his marketing plan. And we decided to go with him over the other three realtors that we had interviewed. There were pictures done, there was flooring plans done, uh, there were uh, showings done. Uh, it was it was top notch. Um, we couldn't ask for anything more. Uh, I, I can't say enough about John and how he represents himself and the service that we got was far more than what we ever thought about and when we go to sell our now our home now we'll certainly go back to john 
That's Lisa in Clayton Heights. And, John, let me just quote from your website, johnnysmartpoint.com. At 2% Realty West Coast, we believe in giving our clients the full real estate experience, yet allowing them to keep more of their investment. And I would assume Lisa kept more with uh, dealing with you than the other three companies that she had also interviewed as possible sellers for her home. I I think so, because when we met originally, she did tell me that, uh, you know, the other quotes from the other agent in terms of commission were, um, you know, I think about $10,000 higher Mm -hmm. roughly than than what I charged. So again, that's a whole other angle that, and another reason that people call me oftentimes is they, they look at some commission structures and say, wow, that's a lot of money. Uh, what can I do without sacrificing service and results? What can I do to save some money? And that's really where the smart point is. And that's where I come in. So yeah, Lisa, that was a wonderful testimonial. I mean, I'm sitting here with a big grin on my face. And Ben and I, Lisa, thanks very much for mentioning the program. We always appreciate uh, people who acknowledge the yes. Vancouver consumer experience on their Saturday afternoons. Thank you for that. And working with Lisa was absolutely a pleasure. And I want to thank Lisa for that. And really, I mean, I feel good because I feel I satisfied my goal. She said she was well represented and she thought I was an honest person who gave my uh, my honest opinions on things, which is always the way I conduct myself. So uh, thank you very much, Lisa. I look forward to working you f- for you again in the future. And uh, I'm just glad we got that result. And on that note, also, I want to say congratulations to Bill. Right around the corner, a condo just around the spot. We just got that one firmed up as well. Um, And I want to say congrats to Bill if you're listening. Also, a Langley condo owner kind of guy? I've been doing a fair bit of business in Langley and Surrey lately. And again, I work Maple Ridge, Pitt Meadows, Langley, Surrey, uh, Coquitlam, Tri-Cities, quite a bit, Burnaby. I'm all over the place. But um, yeah, so if you need uh, need me in any of those areas, you can call me. Uh, Any any more new listings? You told us about a terrific deal for about just over four hundred thousand dollars earlier on Uh, and uh, anything else to include this week john yeah actually since i have a minute i'm going to promote a brand new listing i have this is a townhouse in coquitlam burke mountain area Uh, the address is 33 number 33 1299 coast meridian it's called breeze and this is the the thing about this one is it's it's nice big townhouse it's over 1500 square feet it's got two huge bedrooms up and a regular size bedroom down it's got three full bathrooms and a half bathroom and the list price is 689.9 this is a newer townhouse this is a good deal yeah it's got the new listing flag and everything on the website there go to yeah. my website take a look at it we're just starting showings and i've got another one actually in abbotsford this is an adult oriented uh development people may know it out there regency towers okay and the amenities are are crazy i mean pool gym steam room you can get your hair done uh this is uh an adult community it's 35 and over and you can have children dependent children up to 19 and over live with you. Okay. Uh, so this is a fifth floor with a southeast view, quiet view, looking over the mountains, looking over the, the courtyard, and it's listed at four eighteen. Uh, so this is another one that I would look at if if you were if someone's out there thinking about making a lifestyle change and having a condo with amenities at your doorstep, this would be a great choice. All right, johnnysmartpoint.com is the website. All of those new listings John referenced are right there on the website, johnnysmartpoint.com. Here's the number six zero four six one two zero. Again, 604-612-0080. You can now call John Carlson. Sir, you are dismissed until a couple of weeks, and we'll do it all over again. I'm ready. See you in two weeks. All right. We're back after this. Once again, our thanks to John Carlson for another very informative visit. Next week, we'll talk family law with Stuart Zuckerman. Time now for Dooley Noted, and this time around, our producer, Ben Dooley, takes a look at a permanent change to daylight savings time. Thanks, Sterling. BC Premier John Horgan 
says he will encourage other premiers to introduce legislation to eliminate seasonal time changes. The B.C. government introduced legislation on Thursday that, if passed, gives the province the power to move to permanent daylight saving time. Here's B.C. Attorney General David Eby. It's uh, the most popular public engagement that has been done, uh, to my understanding, in the history of the province, actually. There were so many people who participated. Uh, so the uh, proposed legislation will be based on that uh, engagement. A majority of British Columbians are set to move their clocks back an hour this weekend. The new legislation creates a time zone called Pacific Time and allows the Peace Region and the Kootenays to continue their time traditions if they choose. Horgan says the legislation will give these jurisdictions a chance to consider what they want to do moving forward. The legislation does not automatically mean British Columbians are done changing the clocks after this year. Horgan is still hoping that Oregon, Washington and California will get congressional approval to also move to permanent daylight saving time. Even if those U.S. states do not get approval by next year, Horgan says his government could decide to make the change without them. I'm Ben Dooley, and that's Dooley Noted. Well, thank you, Ben. Wishful thinking notwithstanding. Don't forget, friends, clocks go back one hour tonight. Time for a couple more consumer quickies before we have to go. Now that we're over a year with legalized cannabis in Canada, we're starting to see some new statistics about who uses it and how and why. We now have quarterly reports from a group called the National Cannabis Survey, and their latest report shows Canadians older than 65 are less likely to use cannabis than younger people, but when they do, it's more likely used for medicinal reasons and bought from legal sources. It's estimated some 5 million Canadians have now used cannabis. Our friends at Glacier Media did a story on this and found figures released October 30th show cannabis use is less common among seniors than it is among other age groups, 7% compared with 10% for 45 to 64-year-olds, 25% for 25 to 44-year-olds, and slightly higher at 26% for people under 24. However, survey results show consumption among seniors has been accelerating at a much faster pace than it has among other age groups. Seniors also reported they were less likely to use daily. More than half reported using cannabis solely for medical reasons, while the remaining seniors were evenly split between non-medical, about 24%, and both medical and non-medical reasons, also 24%. An estimated 28% of users, or 1.4 million Canadians, reported obtaining cannabis from a legal source, with consumers aged 65 and older being the most likely to be using only legally obtained cannabis, compared with about a quarter of younger consumers. Growing cannabis was a supply source for only about 8% of consumers, another 4% reported another unspecified source. No differences by age in those last categories. Oh, and the Canadian Olympic Committee announced this week on Wednesday its plans to host an anniversary celebration event. It'll come up in Vancouver in February on the 22nd, and it's intended to bring the community together and provide a reunion for all those who participated in the games from the organizers to the Canadian athletes who competed. The upcoming celebration events will also double as an anniversary event for the Winter Paralympics and Team Canada's participation in Tokyo 2020. Nothing wrong with a big party to look forward to in February. Bring
break out the red mitts and those baby blue volunteer jackets and get ready. More details on the celebrations and the events will be released over the weeks ahead. And that is our show for this week, produced by Ben Dooley with Andrew Ferreira at the controls. You can listen to us anytime simply by going to wherever you get your podcasts. Connect with us at Van Consumer on Twitter or email us to sterling at cknw.com. I'm Sterling Fox, and we all hope you join us again next Saturday at 2 for another episode of Vancouver Consumer right here on CKNW. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.